Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, listeners. We want to take a brief moment to thank the people that have jumped on board our pre-launch for the Psychoanalysis Patreon page. We're going to push it in earnest this June. Trust me, we are <laughs> going to push it in earnest. Real good. But this early support means a lot. Push it real. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Salt and pepper reference. <laughs> love it. Keep it. Once it gets going, all patrons will have access to bonus psychoanalysis every month including a mini episode where we answer your questions about the previous month's mental health topic. Depending on the tier you sign up for, you'll also get our viewing recommendations, a treatment plan show where we analyze different characters from the horror genre, quarterly fan commentaries, Discord hangouts, and more. But first, a huge shout out and thank you to Julia T. and James for signing on at the Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter tier, Andrew F., Bryant B., Kate M., Megan H., and Nicole G., all for coming on at the Mads Mickelson as Hannibal Lecter tier. Thank you so much. <laughs> really tickles me. I know. I continually crack up at the, uh, <laughs> yeah, our tiers. So if you want to support the show, please head over to patreon.com backslash psychoanalysis podcast today. That's all one word, psychoanalysis podcast. Yep. Do it. Leave out today, though. Oh, don't yeah. type the word <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, we're not responsible for what you pull up when you search for that because it's going to be something weird. weird. <laughs> that <would really> be. <laughs> oh. All right. Um, all right. Well, shall we shard, shard the show? <laughs> shard the show? I don't want to shard it. Oh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. Before we get to our movie... Jen did not write this. <laughs> Sorry, yes. that caught me off guard. Okay, but before we get to our movie, we have to ask, who are we here? I think I'm Laura Understall. <laughs> Sorry. And I'm Jen Adams. <laughs> oh, fuck, oh, fuck, fuck. We fucked it up. <laughs> Why don't we all be Mike? <laughs> yeah. I'm Mike Snoonian. I'm Mike Snoonian. <laughs> I'm already confused. I'm I hot. <laughs> I put sweating. my Mike Snoonian identity in a suitcase uh, and kicked it into the river. So <laughs> I am Mo Howard. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yuck, 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 yuck. I hope you're all still listening because <laughs> we're, right. we're off the rails. Ah, and so we are celebrating a special holiday it has to do with fathers. And so I'm going to let our resident father introduce our theme for this month. Well, let me just stop yelling at my child for a moment. <laughs> it's a new month, which means a new theme. Since June, it's a time we show appreciation to our dads with a necktie or elbow macaroni art. We thought we'd do something different this month by having a conversation around bad dads. So 
if you've ever played a game of hide and seek with your father as a kid, only to have him hide so well he turned up halfway around the country 20 years later, <laughs> this month is dedicated to you. Before we dive into the topic, we're going to give a brief synopsis of the movie, just in case you haven't seen it or if it's been a while. So here is your spoiler alert. And it's coming from an authoritative yeah, voice. <laughs> I was like, I was trying to think of like spoiler a alert. Do not get your movie synopsis until you finished your vegetables. You go, you go hi Clean spoiler. Hi spoiler. I'm dad. <laughs> I, Daddy. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. It's well, be a this, is a, this is a beast of a synopsis. It's a beast. Change your so gonna... tone of voice around me, young lady. <laughs> oh, this is making me feel weird. I know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's let's dig in. Wait, did we say the name of the movie? We are. Oh, oh we fuck. have not. We're watching <laughs> The Stepfather. We're watching 1987's The Stepfather. <laughs> Oh, Lordy. We are professional. We're going to get in so much trouble. So, you definitely want to sign on for that Patreon I now. Know. The level of professionalism that Just we bring. Just bleep it in Ooh. earlier. The stepfather. <laughs> oh. I mean, it's in the title of the episode. Yeah, you know. you know, it's like, do we really even need to say it? Can't you people read? <laughs> You're only yourself to blame. <laughs> Why are you breaking up our podcast? Okay. Okay, I'm going to read it. <sighs> Henry Morrison decides that it's time for a makeover. Gone is his scraggly beard, tangled hair, and blood-soaked hands. In their place, a mild-mannered Mr. Rogers stand-in emerges. Morrison makes his way downstairs and whistles a jaunty tune as he walks by a blood-soaked living room that holds the butchered remains of his wife and children. What? What? <laughs> he boards a ferry to the mainland and tosses the remnants of his old life overboard. His former identity sinks into the ocean. A year later, we meet Jerry Blake, who looks an awful lot like Henry Morrison. Hmm. Hmm. Jerry is settled into a small Seattle suburb with Susan, a widow, and her 16-year-old daughter, Stephanie. He works as a real estate agent, specializing in finding the perfect homes where families can plant their roots. Jerry tries to bribe Stephanie for her love with a puppy. She likes the dog, but recoils in disgust when Jerry rubs her arm. Next, we see Stephanie pacing around her psychiatrist, Dr. Bondurant's office, while he makes super obvious observations, and Mike thinks... <laughs> My God, is this what I sound like in session? <laughs> we learn Stephanie has been suspended five times from school that year and believes her stepdad is a giant creeper and weirdo. She's right. You know, she's not wrong. Fact, not opinion. <laughs> in the next scene, Jerry and Stephanie discuss the distance between stepdad and daughter. Jerry tells her it's really important to both him and her mother that Stephanie try harder in school. Cut to Stephanie throwing hands with another student in her art class. At this, the school expels her, and we learn this was her plan all along. She desperately wants to attend boarding school to get away from Scary Jerry. When Stephanie reveals that she's been expelled, Jerry uses some gendered language and talks about not wanting to break up the family. He then listens in on a mother-daughter talk about their dead husband slash father. This surely doesn't have ominous implications for the immediate future. Next, we're introduced to Jim, the brother of the murdered woman from the start of the film. 
He's obsessed with cracking the unsolved case and wants a reporter to run a story with a photo of Morrison slash Jerry, correctly deducing that he settled somewhere within a local radius. Back in the suburbs, Jerry hosts a barbecue for all the extremely white Anglo-Saxon <laughs> Protestant families he's sold houses to while wearing a striped Freddy adjacent sweater. <laughs> Is it a sexy sweater, though? Who can say? So, Jed, settle a debate. Is it a <laughs> sexy sweater or not sexy sweater? If I didn't hate him so much, I would think it was a sexy sweater. <laughs> yeah. Terry O'Quinn is like attractive, he but is. this character is so loathsome and mm -hmm. off putting. Yeah. In any I other sort can't... of like, if he had worn the sweater to the premiere, I'm into mm. it. You know? Okay. Right. There we go. If okay. I saw him walking down the street, no context, I'd be like, all right. Yeah. But here, hmm. I want to strangle him with this sweater. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just rip it to shreds Fuck and you, use Jerry. this. <laughs> exactly scraps to, yeah. to garrote him okay <laughs> at the cookout a group of men discuss an article published in the local newspaper about the unsolved family murder from last year jerry as the kids may have once said is shooketh <laughs> he escapes to his basement workshop where he goes bananas pounding his fists and spouting gibberish he stops when he realizes stephanie is down there too retrieving ice cream and staring at him in abject terror Stephanie finds the newspaper article and an idea brews. She writes to them and asks to see a photo of Henry Morrison. Later, she has another appointment with Dr. Bondurant and straight up tells him, look, Jerry scares me. In a rare moment of believing women, Dr. B offers to talk to him on Stephanie's behalf. Something comes for Stephanie in the mail, but unfortunately, Jerry intercepts it. He opens the envelope to see his own former identity staring back at him, the promised photo from the newspaper. Row, row. The shrink calls asking to talk to Jerry while he's busy having another basement freak out. He ducks the call. Methinks this guy will do anything to avoid talking to a psychiatric professional. Jerry gets Stephanie reinstated in school and her counselor violates several ethical principles by calling Jerry with a false identity, pretending to be interested in buying a house. Stephanie returns home to find the now doctored letter and headshot from the newspaper. Instead of Jerry's creepy bearded mug, we get a picture of a third-rate Tom Selleck lookalike. <laughs> Stephanie is now the one who is shooketh. Maybe she was all wrong about Jerry? Question mark? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but probably not. I know. Uh, yeah. Who can say? <laughs> the psychiatrist shows up at the home walkthrough and immediately lies to Jerry about being a lifelong bachelor. He also mocks Jerry for being so invested in the traditional family and giving him the third degree about his upbringing. This causes Jerry to ask if the doctor is more interested in the house or him. And for a second, I thought we were going to get a very different movie. <laughs> Hubba Bubba. <laughs> Jerry is a leather daddy. Yeah, mm -hmm. he is. Alas, they don't make out. But this does catch Dr. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Carry <laughs> Sorry. <on>. <laughs> <laughs> but this does catch Dr. B off guard and he lets slip that he's actually married. The increasingly paranoid Jerry does what anyone would do in this situation, beats him to death with a two by four. Jerry is able to stage the doctor's death so it looks like an explosive car wreck because forensics weren't a thing in the 1980s. The next day, Jerry breaks the bad news to Stephanie that Dr. B's office called and he died in a car accident. Stephanie cries in Jerry's arms, a fly in a spider's web. In the basement of his dead sister's home, Jim, the brother, finds a torn out section of a real estate magazine. Wait, 
Jim, the brother of the sister. <laughs> it's the guy, the guy that's running around. Yeah. The hot one. This might, yeah, the hot guy that's just running around screaming. This might actually be a decent clue. Jerry bonds with his family while planting a giant birdhouse. Things are finally going his way. Jim storms into the local library and finds a copy of the magazine that was in the basement. There's an article about the best towns to raise a family in. One of those, Oak Ridge, Washington, is within the radius he thinks his sister's killer would have escaped into. At Thanksgiving, Jerry gives thanks for his family. It's a regular Norman Rockwell moment, and Jerry is about to jizz his pants because he's realized <laughs> his perfect family fantasy. I'm so sorry for adding that level That's of color. Fair. That goes in, but to catch a predator comes out? <laughs> Look, I had to write it in a part in my voice. <laughs> and my voice includes jizz, okay? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Some behind-the-scenes stuff for all of you. Well, okay. inside baseball. <laughs> Stephanie has a flirtation with a boy from school. After a moped ride home, they kiss chastely on her front steps. Jerry peeps the tender moment and is enraged, interrupting them and screaming and being generally alarming and embarrassing. After Stephanie runs off, mom lambasts Jerry for throwing away all the progress they've made as a family. Jerry decides enough is enough and enrolls in therapy in order to get his anger under control by coming to terms with his own implied childhood trauma. Just kidding, psych, bitch, you fucking guy, I fucking tricked you, stupid assholes. Okay, I'm sorry. That does not happen because that is not the kind of movie we're in. Nope. <laughs> Jerry, seeing the cracks in the foundation, makes plans to kill his new family and start an even newer one. Jim has a pretty good idea, and after flirting with an administrative assistant, he acquires the marriage certificates for the town of Oak Ridge for the past year. At school, Stephanie sneaks into Dr. B's office for comfort. She makes a startling discovery. He made an appointment to see a house with Jerry on the night of his death. Jim goes door to door in Oak Ridge, Terminator style. Jerry hops on the ferry. <laughs> that rhymes. <laughs> and puts on a new disguise. <laughs> I was just so delighted by that. Okay. The film also gives us its biggest shock. He's been wearing a hairpiece this whole time? What the fuck? That legit blew was... me away. That really <laughs> what the hell? Okay. In a new town, he interviews for a gig selling family insurance and looks at a house conveniently next door to one owned by a widowed mom. Susan calls Jerry at work, only to learn he's not there. In fact, he quit his job days ago. Jim steps into the middle of a domestic dispute and assaults a dude. Oh, and he also learns where Jerry lives. Fucking finally! <laughs> when Jerry returns home, Susan confronts him. He gaslights her and pretends to make a call, then blows his cover by calling himself by a different name. This leads to him saying the film's fantastic tagline, Who am I here? Before he smashes the phone across Susan's skull in a moment of actually disturbing violence. He continues to assault her, slugging her and knocking her down the basement stairs. Stephanie comes home, unaware there's anything wrong. Here we break for a nude shower scene with Stephanie, who, if you've forgotten, is supposed to be 16 years old. The 80s. What a time to be alive. Yep. <laughs> Had some thoughts about that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's just like, oh, all right. Well, all right. Jim finally confronts Jerry face to face, only to get the most pathetic deaths and Scatman Crothers in The Shining. <laughs> With little foreplay, Jerry stabs Jim in the gut as he fumbles for his gun and is left to bleed to death in the hallway. Jerry confronts Stephanie with a bloody knife. She rushes to the bathroom and locks herself in while Jerry screams and pounds the door. 
Stephanie makes a shiv out of broken mirror glass and stabs Jerry in the arm before rushing to the attic. He chases her, only to fall through the cheap insulation and paper-thin drywall. Foiled by the cheap product he himself was selling. The irony! Uh Oh my god! Jerry rushes Stephanie at the top of the stairs, only to be shot in the back by Susan, who found poor old Jim's gun. A bloody Jerry crawls up the stairs, unrelenting, aiming for Stephanie, who at last plants a knife in his heart. Jerry's final words are, I love you, before he tumbles down the stairwell and dies by Susan's side. Sometime later, Stephanie and Susan are in the backyard, cutting down the birdhouse, mother and daughter against the world. Those poor birds. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's know. kind of rude. <laughs> I mean, maybe they'll be like, happier in the broken birdhouse, you know, I mean, instead like of a birdhouse full of lies. <laughs> it's like, I, we get the symbolism, but I was eating here. Right. <laughs> Did the birds die, do you think? I don't think there were any birds okay. in there that we could visibly see. <laughs> <laughs> there were pieces ahead of it. It was like just bloody like, feathers oh. like on the birdhouse. Oh. Like, we need the symbolism. I know. That's like the Ari Aster version. Of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, so now let's do a feelings check. Um, I've got some feelings. Whew. So this Same. is where we share uh, what was our first experience with this movie and how does it make us feel when we watch it? So, Mike, would you care to share? Sure. So this is a pure nostalgia rush for me. I have like really concrete memories of like biking to the family video store, like the mom and pop owned video store uh, near us and like renting movies like this and Slumber Party Massacre 3 as a like teenager and like Saturday night sleepovers with my friends, like gathered around to like watch movies, specifically like The Stepfather. Um, so I'm really glad we chose this one because it definitely gives me the warm and fuzzies. And a lot of movies from this era don't really hold up upon rewatch, like things you found scary as a kid now appear kind of silly or melodramatic now. And there is a lot of melodrama in here, but Terry O'Quinn or Terry Quinn is so fantastic in this role. And he just completely inhabits it that it makes up for, I think, some of the potential downsides for it. It's a really amazing performance. So, you know, the movie is less physically violent than I remembered it being, and it's much less physically violent than your typical slasher film is uh, of this era. And slashers by this time were definitely on a downward turn. But the emotional abuse that Terry puts his family through, like, really hits on rewatch. Uh, It hits in a much different way. It hits in a way that feels honestly really grounded and like, yeah, you could easily see this happening. I like the kind of the role of uh, psychiatry as it's shown here. Uh, I like exploring the way of like nurture versus nature. I found like Stephanie's character and the counselor pretty fascinating. It's probably, you know, aside from trying to trick Jerry into a confrontation, it's probably the most solid representation we've seen of of a counselor in any of the movies we've done Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it is definitely a 180 from unsane (laughs) yeah yes yes (laughs) yeah and it's funny because we had a question on our um what's in the box episode about a good representation of um a a psychiatrist and Mm -hmm. this is like if i could reverse add this in this i would say this yeah i remember struggling to think of any and then i like completely forgot about his character in this film so 
As usual, I don't remember when I first saw this. I, I do, I, I don't, you know, it obviously wasn't during like a formative time in my life, but it was at least eight to 10 years ago, you know, just watched it because it was, I was going through some giant list of movies that were on my list to see uh, and I loved it and I still love it. I, I think it's a perfectly paced psychological thriller with some real meat on its bones. Um, it does suffer from a few 1980s moments, which we've already hinted at, but overall, I think it really holds up. And I agree that Terry O'Quinn in this is like fucking fan. It's just, he's so compelling mm -hmm. as this character, so unhinged. Um, all the performances in it are really solid, but he obviously anchors this. Uh, I do have a lot to say about Jerry and the family dynamics in this. For, for some reason, this watch air quotes hit different. I found myself having some deep thoughts, trademark. Uh, about the nature of toxic slash abusive relationships. I, I don't know. I was just, I've been in this really contemplative place lately, I think, because of these times we're living in uh, and just everything. And I don't know, this one really got to me for some reason. I, I just, it's it's both a really fun movie. It's like very much like an entertaining thriller, like in the vein of like Hand That Rocks the Cradle or Sleeping with the Enemy or something like that. It gives me those kind of vibes, but it's also like there's a lot going on just beneath the surface. I think it's perfect for this pod because Jerry is like the ideal character to psychologically profile like as far as like cinematic characters go. And mm -hmm. I hope we will do that momentarily. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I I got a lot of that nostalgic, like it re reminded me a lot of like sleeping with the enemy and single white female. And I had forgotten about the hand that rocked the mm -hmm. cradle. But that's like a real sweet spot for me in those time periods, because those were movies that I could convince my parents to let me rent or let me watch, you know, whereas some of the more like horror in quotation marks, I had that was a bit of a harder sell. Mm -hmm. I don't think I actually watched this might have been a first watch for me I think hmm. um, I definitely have seen the remake and I feel like this is one where I saw the cover at Blockbuster all the time and yep. I and I had heard the story so I was pretty familiar with what was going to happen but I don't know if this this may have been the first time I actually watched it and it, or it could have been that I watched it and I just forgot about it but I really loved it like it made me angry for the right reasons like it really engaged me it gave me that like the fucking fall leaves are beautiful like I loved mm. that and I loved how it was paced because like I said it just really was like that 90s psychological thriller that I just love I also wrote fuck this fucking dad that was like my <laughs> only note in the outline and full disclosure <laughs> I saw that yeah. <laughs> I was like <sighs> yes yeah um because I have and I've talked a little bit about this I have a really um complicated is a kind way to say it relationship with my own dad right now and and just full disclosure if I sound a little charged like he just called and yelled at me like an hour ago so I'm a little like whoa which is where I wrote the fuck this fucking dad thing <laughs> um so I said he knew he could tell you were about to record this so he just he got his spidey senses were tingling totally so, yeah. yeah he was like I I gotta give her material so mm -hmm. yeah so I may mention that later but yeah so it hit a lot of things it's also like this is this is the patriarchy like I love like digging into that kind of stuff and this is like what he wants is that so that's like hits all my feminism buttons too so yeah I really dug this but man Terry O'Quinn is so fucking good like this movie is not nearly as good with a different actor or no. like some without that performance you know mm -hmm. I remember re-watching it a few years before this and what struck me was like how 
because Lost was one of my favorite TV shows mm-hmm. when that was around. Um, Me too. I mean, we had we were like we had Lost parties. You know, we got together. Mm-hmm. It was probably the that and The Sopranos were like the last two shows we actually did gatherings for and got people together to kind of hang out and watch together. It's amazing how much of of Terry O'Quinn's performance as John Locke feels fully formed in his performance here as Jerry. Mm -hmm. That kind of like calm, soothing presence when things are going well, the dad knows best, just follow what I'm saying. But the moment there, the insecurity and like complete lack of self-esteem that's underneath it, that comes out in like blinding rage when challenged. Mm -hmm. Um, It really reminded me so much of his performance in Lost uh, years later. Yeah, so he's he is the master of that switch, that mm-hmm. moment of like where oh, it's chilling. It's really chilling. It is, yeah, because it feels very authentic. Like I I mm-hmm. grew up seeing that, you know. So yep, Ooh. yep. And I mean, he is. I, I don't want to talk about how hot everyone is all the time, but I he mean, is an attractive he, man. He yes, is. yeah, and he's just so charismatic. I'm just looking at a yes. picture of him mm-hmm. on IMDb right now. So yeah, yeah, he has a very high charisma score. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. high charisma modifier. Yeah. Well, and so our mental health topic for this month is a little bit of a slippery one because it's, uh, you know, our topic is bad dads. And uh, so, Mike, can you tell me what would the DSM-5 say? I'm kidding. (laughs) So, so, what's interesting, and I want to take a minute first. I just want to take a minute to acknowledge when we talk about this subject, we're definitely going to be getting into some stereotypes, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to family dynamics, and what constitutes family. We're mostly going to be talking about the nuclear family. And I really want to take a minute and make sure that, you know, say when we do this, we're not trying to minimize or trivialize the efforts and the love found in single parent homes, blended homes, extended families, and LGBT families. I want to make sure of that. Mm -hmm. Like, they were not saying like, well, you know, nuclear families are the way to go. Everything else is somehow less than. That is definitely not the intent here. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we're talking about traditional families, that's not us giving carte blanche to say, well, you know, this is the ideal that everyone should aspire to. Right. Um, In fact, I think a lot of my thoughts are going to be this ideal is damaging, you know? Right. Yeah. Sure. I also want to take a brief second to acknowledge that like the burden of child rearing often falls onto the mother and like dads get a free pass for doing the bare minimum sometimes. Yep. I think that needs to be acknowledged. I've definitely benefited from that, <laughs> I will say. Yeah. Um, but you are not babysitting your own child. No. Sorry. You know, so it's. <laughs> no, just, sorry, not you, know. you, Mike. I'm saying to guys who yeah. say. Yeah. Right. No, I, I understood yeah. you. I yeah. didn't think you were accusing Mike of that. Yeah. I remember <laughs> my, my best friend Nip and I, we went out when my daughter was like an infant and we got breakfast together and the server was just like, I just want to say what the two of you are doing is so brave. And we're like having pancakes. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Telling me about the, <laughs> what are you saying about the quality of this breakfast establishment, ma'am? <laughs> Should we be eating here? So, what, what if she said, well, I poisoned it. You know? So, you know, yeah. yeah. So, excellent. She's like, she yeah. like like lowers her Medici mm-hmm. ring and is like that is what <laughs> I meant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ooh, the hash browns are no good. So, <laughs> all right. So this month we're going to be you know taking a different tack than usual. 
Uh, there's not a category in the DSM labeled shitty dads. Um, but disappointing. You know, you, disappointing. <laughs> May come one day. Maybe who knows? The six. So, so I think the six will have like QAnon conspiracy theorists. That's going to be in there. I yeah, strongly believe that. A little be. overlap, you know. Yeah, there's some overlap there. But so you can imagine the kind of psychological damage that stems from like a parent's emotional financial, sexual, or physical abuse on a child and the great toll that can take on a person's development. So the stepfather is exploring gender-based violence. The World Health Organization defines this as violence stemming from cultural expectations within gender roles, as well as the power imbalance between traditional masculine and feminine identities and expressions. From an article in the Journey of Family Social Work, navigating the concepts of gender and violence within young children, there are a lot of things with someone at risk for this, and they include witnessing previous parental violence, being in a lower socioeconomic status, uh, lower educational achievement, if persons that adhere to hyper-masculinity, persons that desire power and control, adherence to patriarchal family systems. Poor parent, receiving poor parenting as a child, this kind of violence can be passed down from one generation to the next. So those are the, the risk factors that kind of go into seeing this kind of gender-based violence. Uh, why do men in particular do this? The type of man that takes part in this kind of family violence often perceives an imbalance between the power they feel is rightfully theirs and their fear where the power actually lies. Mm. The dad that has to say to his children, like, I'm the boss, I'm the one in charge. They're actually afraid it's the kid who rules the roost. And I can actually see that to a certain degree. I mean, this happens in the school. Like, mm -hmm. sometimes I'm like, all right, get up, go to the office. You know, you can't throw milk cartons at a kid's head when they're open. And they're like, wait, if the kid's like, no, I'm just not going to go. Like, what the hell am I going to do at that point? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to pick him up and drag him. Like, okay, you know, mm -hmm. so. God, I hope none of the kids from school hear that. They know that there's, no, right, they, the, the implied threat of violence is the only thing yes. keeping rule and order in the school, right? right? Yeah. And like, <laughs> like, we got him, guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> we have it on tape. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mean, basically, it's an insecure man that doesn't know how to talk to their children, doesn't know how to kind of negotiate with them, and feels the only thing they can do is be imposing, like, physically or emotionally over their kid in order to get them to do what they want. And there's some real damage there. Mm -hmm. Bad thing is, like, there are intervention and prevention programs targeted specifically for fathers and fathers-to-be to help teach them better parenting models. Unfortunately, the type of person that should take part in this kind of program doesn't typically want to take part in it. And mm -hmm. unless they're forced to, they won't. They either refuse to engage in the programs meant to boost their parenting skills, they'll participate grudgingly, or they'll kind of go in there and set the room on fire and get into like heated conflicts with the moderator. It's kind of their way or the highway. I mean, they're basically overgrown um, children at that point. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my head is exploding from rage in this paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Further evidence: I should never type my notes on my phone. Men <laughs> pint. Um, 
Well, you know, that's so, a real Freudian slip. I know, I'm men pint. <laughs> tiny, tiny men. <laughs> men who tend to abuse, tend to look for partners they believe they can either manipulate or intimidate. Some examples of paternal abuse include seeing their spouse and their kids as their property to do with as what they want to do. Discounting the thoughts and opinions of others in the families, minimizing the contributions of others to the home. It's basically it's father knows best. Undermining their partner at every given opportunity. Uh, this is a big one, withholding or making their affection conditional. Mm-hmm. Um, just withholding that love or being like, until you clean your room, like I can't hug you. I don't even want to look at you right now. Things like that are really, you know. Yep. I was banned from coming to my house for a couple of months mm-hmm. because I had uh, said I was going to move somewhere after college. And yeah. not, I'm sorry, not the house I was living in. I wasn't kicked out, but. Like, right. Hmm. You couldn't visit home, basically. Yeah, I couldn't right. come back home. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you want to move far away, then don't come visit at all. Like, well, that's kind of hmm, interesting. Yep. The purpose. Yep. This is a big one, like making and breaking promises routinely. Like, oh, we'll go get ice cream tomorrow and then tomorrow comes around and you don't do it or like yeah we'll get we'll play together later but dad's tired and then later never comes not participating in school or family or social functions you know basically leaving the mom to do that i get it i mean it's not every saturday you want to spend three and a half hours in a blazing hot sun because your child's school and every school in the district is doing a band <laughs> concert and choral concert outdoors. Hmm, was <laughs> that yesterday for you? <laughs> yeah, that can be tough, but <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. but you got to do it. You got to be there, you know, yeah. just showing rage at, at the slightest provocation, insisting you're always right, blaming the failures of oneself on like the children or spouse. Neglect is the largest form of abuse. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, about 60% of reported child abuse cases, they're rooted in neglect. It's typically what I tend to have to report on in my role as a counselor is when you see a child being, their basic needs of like being fed, dressed, cared for. This year in particular, like having them attend school, um, that's when you see neglect. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of this fits the description of every single sitcom father or like yeah. Homer, mm-hmm. Homer Simpson. And mm-hmm. like, I feel like so much of this has been like imbued into our cultural identity mm-hmm. that it's played for comedy more often than not. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when you really examine it as a list of traits, it's very disturbing. Yeah. yeah. I'll, def- I'll defend Homer. Homer is dumb, <laughs> but he's but he's always at the family. You know, whenever there's like the kids play, He's there. Well, he's constantly uh, strangling Bart. True. <laughs> yeah. True. That would be uh, the rage and aggression. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like he, he, they'll, Homer is somewhat of an inconsistent mm-hmm. character. You know, yeah. he, he, he has these sweet moments and then other, and then the next episode he's strangling yeah. Bart or making, yeah. undermining Marge when she tries to go out to get a job, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, he's had many different uh, writers over the years too. Yes. So. You know, yeah. it's, it's unfair to really hold him to any kind of realistic standard. <laughs> but I know what you mean. It's cartoon. like, that's the stereotype of what a dad but yes, is. That's what I'm saying. You know? is it's like, these yeah. are, these are what dads are you know king of queens uh would be a really good example 
Archie Bunker, married with children. Yeah, yeah. Then you have a show like Modern Family, and I think like Phil, the main dad, is a pretty involved dad that Mm -hmm. really tries really hard. And I think there's been some kind of turnaround on that. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. At some point, everyone realized "Hmm, we can't write all these characters this way. Right. (laughs) Also, I'm just saying it's part of you know cultural cultural identity in general. This has a lot of this has been accepted, and it wasn't really until the last. Yeah. 20 years probably that we started examining this a little bit yeah exactly. yeah there's this thing i just heard the other day about girl dad apparently girl dad is a thing and i was like what because it's so much harder to girls are human your girl children are also human children so mm-hmm. if you're a good dad to your boy kids you're probably going to be a good dad to your girl kids it's just i yeah. have a whole soapbox about it but I'm very confused and it yeah. sounds like a, a rabbit hole I don't want to go down because yeah. it sounds extremely stupid, you know, like some kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I let my daughter paint my nails. I'm doing dad right. You know, like, no, there's so oh. much more to it. Like not being yeah. afraid of periods, like doesn't, oh, you don't get a medal for that. Sorry. Yeah. No, uh, I, I do. I will say this because I am someone that I, when my daughter would paint my nails, I would post pictures of it mm-hmm. because that's kind of the fun stuff you do but i do think that like as more and more dads post that on their social media or talk about it it destroys a lot of the stigma and it's not Mm -hmm. about wanting to get a medal for doing it but it's more i think you should celebrate acts of good parenthood both you know with moms and dads because there's an awful lot of crappy parenthood that Mm -hmm. goes on out there sometimes and i think we can acknowledge like you know i get it wrong i definitely get it wrong from time to time as well I don't see I don't see the harm in kind of like celebrating those moments with your kid. And I will say, especially as my daughter has gotten older and more autonomous and wanting to spend more time on her own, that, you know, I can look back and go, I am really glad I took part in those moments. Like they mean a lot to me because, mm-hmm. you know, now I have to respect the fact that like she's her own person that can make her own choices. And sometimes that means not wanting to like hang out with mom and dad. Right. So, you know, well, and for the record, I don't think there's anything wrong with posting a picture of a dad mm-hmm. with nails painted. I think the problem is thinking that's all you have to do to be a good father to a right. girl. It's, it's performative you know? when it becomes sure. performative at the, at the absence of any kind of thing that's substantive. I think that's a problem with a lot of things when, as soon as they become like hashtags or right. like they mm-hmm. have some, name applied to them then you just see every fucking moron like posting like a sticker with it that says girl dad or something i'm assuming this is the tenor of the of the yeah you know yeah and Uh, it's like it kind of goes back to what you were talking about is like the woman is automatically going or the mom is automatically going to be the Mm -hmm. better parent for a girl and so by being a good parent as a father to a girl you are doing so you are going above and beyond and it's like no No. you're just parenting your human child you know Mm, right. Anyway. Yeah, I, I understand. It, there's this lack of subtlety or thoughtfulness that goes into these mm-hmm. kind of air, air quote movements. Because it's presenting girl children as like a monolith of more difficult parenting. And it's mm-hmm. presenting men as ill-equipped to do that as a default you know, it's just setting up. This- Whereas like the truth has never been reversed for women parenting exactly. little boys. Right. Yeah. That yeah. kind of thing. I, I get what you're saying. But I think because that that's been the default for so long, because for generations, it's been accepted that like dad's going to be standoffish and not have to talk about periods and not have like the birds and the bee talk. And there's like the trope of like, my daughter can date when she's 30 and Mm -hmm. I'll show up to the, the, you know, you see the pictures of like 
dad polishing a shotgun when the date comes up. So like anything you can do, even if it feels a bit performative at the outset, anything you can do to maybe like chip away at that stereotype, it's not going to be, it's not going to completely evolve or go away in a day. Like, and I get what you're saying. Like I can understand where the performative aspect of that would be fucking frustrating Mm -hmm. if you're a parent that just does that naturally because it's expected of you especially Mm -hmm. as a mom Mm -hmm. but anything that i think that can be done to maybe like chip away at that stereotype is even if there's problems with it there's a little bit of benefit to it as well yeah i don't know maybe i just want my cake and eat it too (laughs) yeah dig in daddy sorry (laughs) i just wanted to say that it just sounded creepy in my head yeah. All I know is people are still having gender reveal parties and blowing each yeah. other up for that. And that blows my fucking mind. I still, I just, uh, what, I, I realize that people are operating in a culture that I, I don't see at all here alone in my apartment. That's an incredible level of stupid. The yeah, gender that's reveal a whole, parties. <laughs> it's really, you know, and I want to take a second because like, I also, we talked about family dynamics and what family there's also like, if you don't want to have kids, that's a hundred percent your right. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't be judged for that either. Like that's your business and no one else's business. And to anyone out there who is, and I'm, you know, who's felt I'm sure in an ordinate amount of pressure to either partner with someone or if they're partnered to immediately populate the world with grandchildren, mm-hmm. if that's your choice to not do that more power to you, like mazel tov, like that is, you know, no one should judge you negatively for that either. So, yep. And that's part of what I think is interesting about this is I feel like our cultural ideas of what parenting is and should be is just very rigid. And yeah. that rigidity, I feel like, is really, really damaging, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. It's one of the best classes I took in my counseling program was like Dr. Rollins and like doing like multicultural counseling. And learning like the different family systems that are part of like the different cultures you're going to meet. And like, especially like say I deal with a number of like Cape Verdean families and individuals where they don't see a difference between a brother and a sister and a cousin. They Mm -hmm. see very little of any difference between like a parent and a beloved aunt or uncle. Like it's just a big blended massive family where a lot of the responsibilities, whether it's child rearing, social support, emotional support, financial support, like it's all shared within a much larger dynamic. And it's really wonderful. I mean, it's actually like awesome. Yeah, it sounds actually pretty nice. Like the Mm -hmm. idea that there's so much pressure that's put on the nuclear family Mm -hmm. and it turns into this, I think this movie does a really good job. It almost becomes a fetishization. Like your nuclear family is all that matters. And it's such an inward looking view of the world and and like lack of connectedness to the larger community that you're in. Mm -hmm. That it's, you know, I I, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but let's, I I won't go down that rabbit hole just at the moment. Yeah, I'll blow through these last couple bits really so we can get to the movie because I'm I'm running a little bit long here. So my apologies. Oh, that's okay. I think it's interesting. Just mm. want to talk on this uh, concept called like absent presence. Um, basically, even after the abuser has been removed from the home, the trauma persists. So you'll start to see children with difficulty sleeping. Their appetite changes drastically. They may start acting out or getting into fights at school. Their self-esteem may tank. The abuse doesn't have to be geared towards the children. If a child witnesses their father abusing their mother, the outcome more likely than not will remain the same. Um, One study conducted that I read about in the Wiley Child and Family Social Work Journal found basically a 50-50 split 
between violence, like direct violence per perpetrated towards the child and violence perpetrated towards the mother by the father. And it was basically like one-to-one -one, um, ratio there with the same outcomes. How do you fight this? You know, there's this concept of mindfulness parenting. And mindfulness is the idea of being present and being grounded in the moment, paying attention to the here and now, paying attention to your own body, your own feelings as they're going on. Um, so mindfulness parenting takes that concept and expands it outward a little bit towards a family system. Really simple concepts like listening with your full attention, not prejudging your child when they're talking to you, accepting perspectives outside of your own, and then demonstrating compassion towards your child over being very severe with them. As we record this, like Ted Ramey, uh, brother of Sam Ramey, director and actor in his own right, posted his father passed away today. Mm. Uh, it was posted on Twitter at 95. And he posted a story about his dad saying, you know, like the time that Ted cracked up his father's brand new car and rather than get mad, dad laughed about it. You know, it's like, it's just a car. At the end of the day, like, it's just a car. You're way more important. Like showing that compassion over being stern and severe and judgmental, that there are much better outcomes. This particular study, and it was from that first article that I mentioned, found that like parents that talked about gender violence, they overall, their attitudes that were revealed were like, they're trying to be the best parent they can be. They found it was important to accept and meet their children as they were. And they allowed their kids the space to bring up topics of gender and violence, as opposed to like, poo-pooing it or pushing it to the side or, oh, we don't want to talk about that. This is a really brief snippet I found from the study. It was the dad recalling a time that he talked about gender stereotypes with his 10-year-old son. And the quote is, like, I just talked with Ian a bit about gender stereotypes and relationships. He says, oh, yeah, dad, when you get married, now I know your life's over. You have to answer to her and all that stuff. And I said, well, you know, some relationships do seem that way, but they don't have to be. I pointed out that a relationship is something that's created by both people. It doesn't have to be that way. So yeah, I can end it there. I think it's a pretty nice note to kind of end yeah. part one of the talk on. And that's kind of like what we were talking about with the cultural identity is like the idea of the old ball and chain kind of mm -hmm. thing. Like a lot yeah. of it is not necessarily what I think dads are seen as, but it's what children and wives are seen as in relation to dads, mm -hmm. you know? And, it's and just... I think that's actually really relevant to people who actually do end up killing their whole family, family mm -hmm. annihilators, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and this can sort of dovetail with the, with the movie because we're about to talk about Jerry as a character, but mm -hmm. I'm, I was very much reminded of family annihilators like John List and Chris Watts, who were people who were very image obsessed mm -hmm. men. Mm -hmm who they just could not take the pressure of the actual sacrifices needed to be part of a true family. Like they didn't fundamentally understand how to engage with their family like humans, instead just feeling this immense, immense pressure to be the the breadwinner, to mm -hmm. be the, the, you know, and it's the way that it damages 
that this kind of rigid system damages both them and subsequently their families who they murdered. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just something I, I saw that American murder documentary on Netflix. And I listened to the last podcast series on John list. And I know there's a bunch of other, these family annihilator cases, but that seemed to be a consistent thread was that sense of like building internal pressure mm-hmm. that drove them to just whoop, bloop. Yeah, you, go, you know, uh, yeah, and I found I found that really disturbing and interesting. And that's an example of like the patriarchy hurts men too. You know, mm-hmm. like this is it hurt, it hurt the families a little more because they murdered them. But yes, yeah, absolutely. true, true. Yes, yes. <laughs> Damn, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> I just had to say it. No, no, no. Um, you're, okay. Yeah, you're totally right. And that's because that's what the patriarchy is. Is the patriarchy is this modeling of society based on a nuclear family with the father as the head. And I feel like this image of this is what a dad is. And if I am not that, or if my family disappoints me, then mm-hmm. I am failing as a father. And so I can't like, I, I, my identity is a man. I am failing in that too. And yeah, I was, um, I was worried that my dad was going to be that for a while, like a couple of summers ago, like there was an incident and I'm not going to go into detail about it, but where he, um, had, there was an act of violence, uh, in my family and I knew my dad had been drinking a lot more. And I, I also knew that he had gotten a gun recently because his neighbor is all into going to the shooting range and he's all Great. like, he's a member of the NRA now and that's a whole mm. other thing, but lovely. I know. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, what if he does take his own life? And then I was thinking, nope, not dad. He c- because he couldn't have the rest of our family know that he was like air quotes weak in that way. So he would have to like take everybody else out too. And it, like I made co- to the point where I made Corey get us an alarm system because I was afraid that he was like because he had a key to our house, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the reason and I'm glad that Mike that you ended on this because I feel like I I the reason I think I've got a lot of anger towards dads is because of the event that, that I was talking about earlier. I'm afraid it's ramping into another season of that, you know, Mm -hmm. that thing happening. Mm -hmm. And I don't, because there are a lot of fantastic dads and I don't want anyone listening to hear what we're saying about dads and thinking, oh, well, I posted a picture of myself doing this thing. I'm a bad dad. Or Jen is saying I'm a bad dad. I'm sorry. I'm trying to like control my anger because there Mm -hmm. are a lot of really fantastic dads out there. And it really is like, I'm, I'm really glad you ended on that. Like, just start showing a little more of that empathy. If you're worried that that's something you haven't been doing, all you have to do is start doing it. Also, if you're worried about that, that's a big clue. Like with our narcissism conversation that you are a good dad, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, absolutely. It's like, you don't have to be a fucking superhero. You just have to like, be a human you know? exactly yeah relate to children like little humans yeah you know? and I've yeah. said before like I think my life would be a lot different if key men in my life had gone to therapy and like mm-hmm. that's I think there's this stigma against men talking about emotion or men showing love to children or you know that that keeps men from really developing these parenting skills and that translates to their children you know mm-hmm. absolutely and I think that's a, a good transition into the movie discussion um you know, and we can maybe start here with Jerry as a character because I think it's an inter- he's an interesting character and he is very <laughs> yes. related to everything we just talked about. Yes, and getting out of the way, Terry O'Quinn is fantastic, and I separate him from this, but because yes, you know, fuck Jerry in the movie, but I wouldn't feel that strongly about it if Terry O'Quinn weren't so fantastic in this role. So. No, I mean, it's the reason why we're talking about this movie. 
And not the remake. And not the remake, right? Totally. Yes. I mean, if the remake, you know, when we talk about addiction eventually, I'm going to make the pitch that we cover the Evil Dead remake because, wow, it's... Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, because she's, she's, yeah, yeah. The, I forgot that that's an Jane aspect Levy. of that character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Jerry obviously is somewhere in the, I mean, he's a psychopath, but he, he displays all the hallmarks of like narcissistic and psychopathic behavior, but especially the like shallow, glib, superficial charm, um, only caring about the image of a perfect family without actually caring about their actual well-being as humans. He very on the nose and very obviously like fetishizes the idea of the nuclear family, Mm -hmm. the husband, the wife, and the kids. And it is also hinted at, at, you know, and this is very related to what you just described in the mental health section, Mike, that he suffered childhood abuse, I believe, from his own Mm -hmm. father because he's in his basement freakouts. He's kind of like replaying this dialogue that he had with his creepy father who Mm -hmm. did God knows what. And And I really like just from a filmmaking and writing perspective that they don't over narrativize that or give us flashbacks or tell us too much yeah. I, and i had in my notes that like the those glimmers we get from the darkness are all we need it's mm-hmm. absolutely a less is more but it tells us so much about him as a character mm-hmm. and i don't know if he would necessarily be aware that that is what's motivating him you know like i think right. about my own dad and i promise i'm not going to spend this entire episode doing that but like bits and pieces of his family past have come out that i've known him my entire life and have never never once been aware of mm-hmm. and it's like it's oh, yeah. i feel like with the type of men or fathers that are prone to this like they bury that so deep and it's so com- deep and so like it comes out like this not like yeah and bizarre explosions exactly like- I mean, my, my father is a obviously much better, very kind man at his heart and truly a kind person. But uh, and I think it's also partially a generational thing in the way that his family, he never talked about stuff. It wasn't until mm-hmm. the last few years of his life that he started talking to me about his family at all. I had to hear sec- things secondhand from my mother. And I was like, I almost felt like I was piecing together a puzzle of his life, you know, mm-hmm. and um I think it was just a thing to like shove, shove down the pain because he had a very fucked up family, like massively. Like, I mean, the fact that he came out as well as he did, you know, that he was as high functioning and, you know, really spoke to his inner strength. But, you know, it's just that that was the whole thing, like never actually just talking about it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that the character of Jerry really fixates on his own childhood in a way he, you know, we see him make reference to Rintintin. He's like giggling at Mr. Ed. It's a little like, it's creepy and weird Mm because it just feels strange, you know, but he also says in the scene where he's watching Mr. Ed to Susan, he says, the past isn't real. It's just a dream, Mm -hmm. which is a line that is like, just gave me fucking chills. Mm -hmm. And he's like, all that matters is Mm -hmm. right now even says to her like i didn't exist until i met you and that's very true like the character of jerry blake there was no jerry blake until he met susan Mm -hmm. yeah it's like he molds himself to fit what he knows yeah his victims that's what they are his victims want you know and he he molds himself into exactly what's calibrated to push Susan's buttons and, and get her to fall in love with him, um, be this illusion of perfection until anything threatens it. And then we see the real face hiding just below the surface. Yeah. Because I feel like he doesn't have, like he says, who am I here? It's like, he doesn't exist as a personality 
without being in relation to another family. And so when that perfection is gone, like he doesn't have anything else. He is not a real person. And it's like that, that terror, like what we see underneath, it's like, it's the real Jerry, but it's not like the real Jerry is this rage and desire for perfection. Mm -hmm. And that's all he really is, you know? Yeah. He's just a void, like a horrible sucking void of rage and and nightmares. (laughs) It's it's just so terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And fear too. And Mike, you told like the sentence, in your notes that really gave me chills was like be like desiring this power, but being afraid that you don't Mm -hmm. actually have the power. Um, Because like, I, I feel like a lot with like my dad or dads like this, it's like that rage is to cover that fear, that deep inside fear of like, I'm nothing without this. And it's like, you just cannot control human beings and nobody is perfect. And so this is inevitably going to fail. They are inevitably going to disappoint you. And when all of your personality is based on that, then you have nothing, you know? There's also that bit of fear that comes from not having the coping skills mm-hmm. to to really react in any way to any sort of adversity. Like where you're, what, what Jerry is completely lacking in is any sort of resiliency. So this idea that like, if, you know, life knocks you down a little bit or you don't get the outcome you expected then you kind of have to regroup yourself and pick yourself back up. Like I have definitely had Jerry like moments alone, like in the basement where I'll react a certain way and get really angry. Like, Oh yeah. No, like I definitely like, you know, but I think my thing is I always give myself like one day to mope or one day to be really angry. And then the next day you got to get up and and murder your whole family sort of plan <laughs> yeah that that could be that could be on the list um, <laughs> no no that's just in case this is being admitted to court that was right. a joke <laughs> mike would never yes. so you know there's definitely like that fear that because you don't have these coping skills like what am i gonna do right it's in and in, in jerry's case he literally is like well gotta wipe the slate clean and yeah. like start over it's like he can't mm-hmm. admit any flaw Mm -hmm. into this because it is it's absolutely and it's just this obsessive fantasy and so when so when it is threatened in any way the claws Mm -hmm. come out and i think Mm -hmm. at various points in the movie we see that with we see his paranoia grow he also starts to like spiral right like you could see that maybe he would have settled down with stephanie and susan for a couple of years before things got out of control but like as soon as little little spikes uh you know start to enter the picture and it starts with stephanie not really trusting him and Mm -hmm. then you know the the newspaper article appearing Mm -hmm. and then stephanie you know gets and i think when he gets she gets the headshot of him in the mail um and even though he hides it from her he his his alarm bells are going off he is starting to spiral he's ready to pull up stakes and and kill everyone and run at any moment Mm -hmm. what triggers his decision to kill his family though is like when stephanie connects with another man Mm -hmm. you know when her and paul have that physical intimacy like all of a sudden you can see jerry feel like he's being replaced and that's just something he can't deal with and that's what triggers him wanting to kill his family like that's the final nail in the coffin mm-hmm. yeah and it, it's 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 really disturbing i think there's that moment that you flagged mike that i really liked when he's selling the home to the family and he's pushing mm-hmm. the little girl on the swing i thought that was one yeah. of the more like haunting moments mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he just kind of slips into talking about another yeah. person that mm-hmm. somebody who's dead you know yeah. and yeah. right and it's and he and he 
starts to say things about Stephanie that aren't even true. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's like, oh, she's perfect. And it's like, she's on the honor roll and she's actually like getting yeah. expelled and yeah. stuff. Like he's just, these are, these are, uh, this is all a dollhouse that he's playing with. And like when he's in the basement freaking out, he calms himself down by looking at that picture that he forced mm-hmm. them to take at the barbecue. And it's just like, it is, it's just so eerie. It's like this, everything is surface level. Mm-hmm. And I, I just find it endlessly interesting. When you look at the barbecue as well, like the, at the barbecue scene, everyone is there as a customer. Everyone mm-hmm. is there as a client. Like Stephanie and Susan don't have any other family that's there. They don't have any other friends that there, but Jerry hasn't made any other connection with anyone aside from his customers. Like it's a transactional thing. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have any friends he goes golfing with. He doesn't take part in a bowling league. Like he doesn't have buddies over to watch football on Sundays. Like the only people in his life are Susan and Stephanie and the people that he sells houses to. Mm-hmm. So there's just this, there's this complete inability to connect or to have a desire to connect with anyone outside of like his immediate circle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking, what is the purpose of this barbecue just to like congratulate yourself and get to stand up and say, Oh, I'm so great. And look at my mm-hmm. family, you know, and that probably and that, is, that is the purpose. That's literally it. No. He's like, this is what people do. This is what, cause he says yeah. like, there's so he puts his arm around them and he goes, I think this is as good as it's, as good as it gets or something like that. And it's like, this is all just, he's just has these scenes in his mind that he wants to force into reality, this absolute fantasy. It's just like, I've just, I, I know you've, I've been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race and it's just like, it's like, I'm living the whatever fantasy, like serve me businessman realness, like serve, mm-hmm. and it's like, that's what he's, he's like indulging in this bizarre costume drama that he's got playing in his head mm-hmm. at all times. And yeah. it's just, it's, oh, it makes me like, oh, it just, yeah. I find it, ah, it's just creepy. Well, and the part where he falls through the ceiling reminded me of another way less sinister movie, um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Uh where Clark falls through the ceiling. (laughs) And I mean, they're very different movies, but there is a similarity here of like, he has this perfect holiday in his mind. And I think he is a lot more willing to roll with the punches and kind of accept um, when thing, and he doesn't kill his whole family. So that's good too. But like, He almost does. does, That's right. Yeah. I mean, the Newell Post Mm -hmm. gets most of it and also the neighbors, which is a little fucked up if I really dug into that. But, you know, (laughs) I love Todd and Marco. So but um, like I've just in the last couple of years have just been really not liking holidays and not getting excited about holidays. And I think I've talked a little bit about that, but it's I think I've been talking in therapy about how I have this tableau in my head of what it's supposed to be. And it's never going to be that because that's not real. And it's because like I grew up being expected to perform my role in this. And now it's just like, I don't know what a holiday even means now if it's not Mm -hmm. this cookie cutter thing, you know? And so that's why Corey is so fantastic about like, well, we can make our own holiday. We can do this thing because we want to, not because like some Norman Rockwell book tells us we have to, you know? This this past Thanksgiving and Christmas, my wife and I both commented how like, it was two of the best holidays we've ever had Mm -hmm. because we simply like, did our own thing. You know, obviously with like coronavirus, we didn't want to have big family gatherings and they're just an excuse for us to get together with a lot of people that we don't necessarily have a lot in common with anymore, but you do it because it's the expectation. And Mm -hmm. this year we're just like, this is really wonderful. It's the three of us 
we've made like a nice meal. We're enjoying one another's company. We're watching the movies you want. And like, you know, the other favorite Christmas I have from the recent years is like, I hate to say it, like every, all of us were sick. So we couldn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And my daughter and wife were sick enough where they spent like Christmas day in bed. And I watched like old wrestling for like eight (laughs) hours in my pajamas. And I'm like, you know, it was a time in my life where I didn't get a lot of time off. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, God, this is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I get what you're saying about holidays. Like there's such an expectation for them to be perfect and look a certain way. And mm-hmm. and this is what happiness they, is, yeah, you know? Yeah. When, you know, the holidays bring a lot of misery. Yeah. yeah. It's this, this, we have this bizarre toxic relationship with, with everything really in this country. It's like, <laughs> we have to create these false holidays that are like really in service to capitalism while actually being miserable because the time that we're supposed to be enjoying off of work, we're, you know, adhering to all these obligations only Mm -hmm. to have to go back to work. And it's all this like bizarre cycle. And it's like, what are we doing? What is any of this? Our whole culture is like Mm -hmm. built on a bed of lies and horse shit (laughs) and service to capitalism and fake patriarchal ideas about what families should look like. Mm -hmm. Burn it all down. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's the tag yeah. on for this episode for Just me. Just burn it all down. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I'm i not sure if we should go into the male fragility bit or we should talk about mom and daughter and Stephanie. I move that down a bit if you want to keep on the male fragility. Okay. <laughs> hold on. Let me just drag my soapbox on over to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah hold on. <laughs> okay. So like, I think another big theme in this movie in general is, I don't know whether to call it male fragility i don't know whether to call it toxic masculinity i think it's like sort of the the uselessness of men and the things that drive them Mm -hmm. um no offense mike (laughs) but it's it's, it is a theme in the film i don't know what to tell you jerry obviously but also like even the men that are like well-intentioned kind of fail in their quests like you've got dr bondurant who i think is probably the most like healthy and functioning of the men in this movie Mm -hmm. um but he gets murdered right away (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like very very quickly Jim obviously his main function in the story is as a plot device I think you pointed out Mm -hmm. in some of your original notes Mike that was like oh he's he was just there to deliver what Jerry's whole MO was but if you ignore that he ultimately achieves nothing and just get himself killed it's again it's a part of it I'm like it's just a fun dramatic moment like or gotcha moment but it's also like this dude that you thought was being queued up to be the hero is you know that's gonna save these two from Mm -hmm. jerry just gets immediately murdered um Mm -hmm. and then mom and daughter end up overthrowing jerry with no outside assistance other than the gun that jim had in his pocket Mm -hmm. you know and and so i think that that's just a really interesting theme here it's one of the themes I, i think that helps elevate this movie from just being like a slasher or like stock thriller i think that there's some really powerful themes here and the way that it like closes on them against you know just like chopping down the birdhouse mm-hmm. no more men <laughs> you know right the, their fa- their family now does not appear traditional mm-hmm. doesn't appear like the traditional nuclear family but they're stronger together and strong and maybe stronger for it deeply traumatized but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i think if you just look at it as like a literary theme yeah the men have just served utterly no purpose throughout this whole thing other than to to hurt and destroy 
Yeah. And I did like Jim. And the thing that I enjoyed about that character was a man saying, hey, listen, this is serious. Like, you know, not that anybody listen wasn't. Listen to me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing I liked about Dr. Bondurant and Lara, you pointed out in the synopsis. I hadn't thought about that. He listens to her. He takes her seriously. And he listens mm-hmm. to her in therapy, too. And he doesn't minimize her intuition, which I think is something that a lot of like mm-hmm. men constantly do. And therapists in movies like that, that his role in, in, in most movies like this would be to just be like, be like, well, you know, it's probably just like not listen to her right. to not listen to her intuition, you know, like, cause it is like, she's, she genuinely is like, he scares me. And he's like, oh, she's not, she's not lying. Like there's something not right here. Right. And you know, even if there wasn't, even if Jerry was totally normal, if there's something about your stepfather that makes you feel uncomfortable, that's a valid feeling, you know? Yes. And even if it turned out he wasn't this like insane serial murderer who switches his identity, he could have just been a fucking weird creep. Right. Yeah. Something about that is raising her hackles. And that is something. And I'm glad that um, he listened to her. And I, I can understand like the mom is traumatized also. I can understand her not listening. But yeah. And I think when I think about, I also want to be careful and say, when I talk about men and masculinity and toxic masculinity. I'm not identifying everyone who is a certain gender, has a certain anatomy, has a certain identity, like not all men, really not all men. I know that's kind of like right. a, a hashtag, <laughs> okay. but like what I'm talking about when I say toxic um, masculinity. Actually, oh. not all men. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I'm not the one to say it. <laughs> well, Mike and, is backpedaling away from his mic. I know. Mike's mic. <laughs> because what it is, is it's not necessarily... It's an identity that people assume this toxic masculinity or this idea of masculinity in quotation marks is these actions, this ideation makes me a man. And that just puts in contrast everything else because that Mm -hmm. ideal, uh, that ideal necessitates dominance over everyone else, you know, and that is the problem. It's not being a man that is the problem. And you know, men are not, I don't think inherently drawn to this. I think it's our culture's understanding of what a father and what a man should be that tells little boys, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to treat other people and not something that we're like innately born with because we identify as male, you know? So I just want to say that for the record, like if you are a man, you might be fantastic and I might think you're great, you know? And you also could be an ass. Doubtful, but it, it, but it could happen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think even in a character like Jim, who ostensibly play, again, it's a plot device, but you know, you're meant to root for him throughout mm-hmm. this movie. Like he's the one that is like trying to avenge his sister's death, even after everyone else has given up, even though that copy meets is like, well, we think we have the motive. We think he's done it a bunch of times before we kind of have it narrowed down to like where he might be. But other than that, there's like, yeah, nothing we can really go on at this mm-hmm. point. Which is just, wow. it's an accurate depiction of how lazy cops are. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Jim, as he goes about his investigation, isn't afraid to throw around like his muscle uh, during times when it's not really needed. Like, you know, he talks to a reporter who agrees to run an article and then he like threatens to beat the shit out of him mm-hmm. because there's not a picture of Jerry in the article. Like, the, you know, I'm sure he realizes the reporter doesn't like, you know, print the pictures, you know, right. And there as well, but he threatens to like kick the snot out of him. And then later on when he's like doing his, like, you know, Sarah Connor moment, (laughs) you know, he gets to the door and he immediately like shows up at this guy's doorstep and then like shoves him against like the, 
arch of his doorway and threatens him. And it's like, no time to ask like what's going on here or ask questions. He immediately resorts to violence to kind of get what he wants from somebody mm-hmm. because he feels like he has like physical power over those people. The only person he doesn't try to physically intimidate is one, the cop. Um, and then two, the office manager who tells him, yeah, I'm, you know, go pound sand. I'm not going to give you these marriage certificates because he knows that like he, he can't do that to him. He's this is a guy who is, works in an official capacity and like that, you know, he's subservient to him at that point. So he kind of sees the pecking order and the hierarchy there. There um, he finds different he carnal is able to charm. charms. To, <laughs> sorry. I am saying that he, I think it was Annie. Different was the primal instincts yes. that he taps into. Know. Sorry. I, I think like, <laughs> and I will say, I think Jim in that moment, you know, is like, I got like 20 minutes to, you know, we can, you know, the sister's still dead. I can put off the investigation for 20 <laughs> minutes. Let's hit the, Get the Motel Six, you know. Jim. Who knows? Be. I might die tomorrow. <laughs> no, you know, carpe diem. Yeah. But even there, you see like toxic masculinity, and even Doctor Burden, for as you know good as he is, like he lures Jerry in under false pretenses, mm-hmm. and then immediately starts to poke the bear without kind of no understanding of who Jerry is and mm-hmm. what might him tick and what he might trigger. He's like, you really buy into all this and happy clappy crap about nuclear and again not to defend jerry but if a random stranger lured me out under false pretenses to an abandoned home Mm -hmm. and then started asking me a bunch of intensely personal questions i think a lot of us would be reaching for the two by four yeah (laughs) all right i mean yeah i mean if jerry were a woman that would be an in like really dangerous situation you know Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's interesting how everyone is like playing these roles in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's like they're all thinking that they're the protagonist of their own story mm-hmm. and they don't realize that they're actually like dead body number three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which is a lesson to all of us. Yeah. And I think I've been binging um, You're Wrong About. Thank you, Laura. Because um, <laughs> I'm obsessed. But I listened to <laughs> this Alpha Males episode and it was talking mm-hmm. about how like a lot of this dominance is like, Mike, what you're talking about, this lack of coping skills and this assumed inability to connect with anyone on a personal level. So your fallback is dominance. It's like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. be able to explain to this reporter why it's important to print this picture. And I'm not going to be able to explain that to the editor. So I just got to beat the shit out of them to make sure it happens you know and it's Mm -hmm. just that fear that there is that they're not going to take me seriously unless i am dominant you know Mm -hmm. absolutely man (laughs) i mean man man Man. (laughs) yeah it's just man it just Mm. sorry lots of feelings yeah, that's our love, our lovely culture that we're embedded mm-hmm. in and can't escape because we don't have enough collective buying power. Right. Um. Anyway, what? And because uh, that's <laughs> and like and maybe this can transition us into our next topic that we want to talk about is because like the problem with all of that is there. Well, there's a lot of problems, but there's somebody on the receiving end of that. There's somebody you are making feel subservient, and in this case, it's Stephanie and. Susan, who I did not at all just have to look at IMDb to remember the character's <laughs> name. But yeah, so maybe we can talk about, we're going to start with Stephanie because I have so many thoughts on her. Sweet girl. Yeah, I, I think that we have, maybe we can talk about Stephanie or their relationship as mom and daughter. Yeah. 
Which was really sweet. Like the scene that they were having that he like creepily eavesdropped over, that really touched me. It's like that's a mom listening to her daughter and a mom also saying like this is like I have feelings here too. I want mm-hmm. this happiness and I was afraid I wasn't going to have it again, you know, and it just really, oh, the two of them. Like I think about where their story ends and I don't necessarily think it's going to be more happy, but that's happy in quotation marks because the real happiness I feel like is the sense of security that I think they're going to have now because they are, they listen to each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they faced the, they they battled together and sort of faced it. I mm-hmm. I had some questions of like, is the end tragic or is it empowering? You know, the fact that they they've been so devastated. I mean, they they haven't been destroyed by this guy, but I mean, it's a talk about an emotionally devastating series of events, right? Like, mm-hmm. she has a loving husband who is Stephanie's father. They lose him. Then shortly thereafter, she meets someone, thinks she has a second chance at happiness. He turns out to not just be a bad, shitty husband, uh, you know, or new boyfriend. He like literally tries to kill them and they have to take him out together. And and killing someone has got to be an incredibly traumatic event mm-hmm. unto itself, whether or not, you know, you were doing it in self-defense. And as you noted, Mike, like, they don't have a lot of other support in this town. Um, right. You know, they don't have a big extended family or lots of friends or whatever. So it's like literally just had, they had that feeling of like them against the world. They chopped down the birdhouse and then they're going to be like, where do they go from there? You know, I think it is empowering on some level, but it's also like, shit, this fucking sucks ass. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. tragic powering. I, I feel like, yes. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the systems failed Stephanie after her dad died i mean you get the note that she's susp- been suspended like five times within the calendar year and that's a cry for help and that is mm-hmm. someone at, at the school and there's a lot of evidence that shows like suspending kids doesn't really do anything like kids see it as a vacation they're like mm-hmm. right remember like one kid i worked with he's like i spent 10 days at home wa- pl- watching youtube videos and playing video games when my mom works it's like the first thing i want to do when i go back is get suspended again like that's awesome uh-huh. mm-hmm. it's like oh great mm-hmm. i yeah. feel like so many people at the school level failed her and mom did to a certain extent too like i that i read that conversation between the two of them a little bit differently where mom is just kind of saying like you know look it is what it is. Like, this is a real chance for both of us to be happy again. And I don't think she's really asking, she's not asking Stephanie any questions in that moment. Mm -hmm. She's basically just dictating to her. And I think she's trying to offer comfort and consolation, but at the same time, she's saying, this is how it is. This is what the opportunity is. And if I'm happy, then you should be happy too. So, and that's a, I lost my dad when I was 19. My younger sister was 14. And my mom remarried a couple years later. And super nice dude. I mean, makes a fantastic coat rack in terms of, you know, just kind of there, blends mm-hmm. into the room. And my sister, for the longest time, like, hated him. Really? No reason. And, you know, you got her to take the truth serum. And she admitted years later, she's like, I was just didn't want him around, you know? Mm-hmm. I was at that point kind of, I was moved out of the house. So, you know, didn't really have any effect on me in any way. It's a hard thing. You know, mom deserves happiness and mom deserves to be, have someone to look out for her and for her to look out for as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's also like, as a kid, 
you're like, this isn't my dad. Like this, and not only is this not my dad, but you know, my dad's not around to like tuck me in or read me a story or take me skiing or laugh at my jokes. And that's a hard thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that struck me, it's like, again, imagine if Jerry wasn't a full-blown psycho murderer and Mm -hmm. he was just a dude with maybe not, not exactly as what he seems, you know, Mm -hmm. like I feel like he so quickly tries to bypass all of Stephanie's boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like you would have to understand coming into that situation. If you were Mm -hmm. any kind of, you know, reasonable person that you're not going to immediately win this, this Mm -hmm. girl over. And in fact, maybe you shouldn't try to do that so aggressively, so immediately. And it's like, again, if he wasn't a killer, he, you could sense in like your lizard brain that like, he wants this to feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. And because I'm not giving in immediately. And it sounds like, you know, there wasn't that much time even that had elapsed from her Mm -hmm. father dying to her mother, meeting this guy to them, like basically saying like, oh, he's your stepfather now. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that's really alarming. And it's a, it's an unhealthy in my mind escalation of, you know, past, past a certain threshold. Like it's Mm -hmm. like, it's all happening a little quick isn't it like you know yeah and again i can appreciate like he full blown like seduced the mother like he know he's done this before he understands like his victims and tar- and calibrates his personality to 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 work on them and to to like completely like love bomb them and win them over and mm-hmm. I, I don't totally fault the mom for falling for it because like he knows what he's fucking doing but mm-hmm. stephanie isn't doesn't fall for it as hard because she's adjacent to it. She's not the focal point and she's, and she's just a little too old to buy his bullshit. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, I, I do think the mom obviously doesn't act perfectly, but I think she, she, you know, obviously when, when the cards are down, she, (laughs) she does what she needs to do Yeah. uh, and, and see, and sees where things went wrong, but it's, it's complicated. I, I felt for both of them because I would imagine that after the fact, the mom would have to feel so fucking stupid. Yeah. Like she, I mean, if I were in her shoes, I'd be like beating the shit out of myself for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I would find it a massively hard to ever trust anyone ever again. And just that is psychological warfare, you know, and and it's what he does. He's, he's a psychological terrorist. Mm -hmm. He worms his way into people's lives and then destroys them. I mean, it's really, he's a con artist. Like there's some other case that I'm blanking on but I've read you know you listen to I listen to a lot of like these stupid true crime podcasts and they're you know this is an archetype the guy that like cons his way into women's lives and and then either takes financial advantage of them or mm-hmm. enacts violence you know and I, I find that just so yeah. blood curdling yeah was that the Dear John podcast? Is it, I think. it was Dirty the Dear John. John Dirty John, Dirty yeah. John. That's Dirty the one John. that I was thinking of, and it's very similar yeah. actually because that one. Well, I won't spoil it, but you know, there. There's well, spoiler alert. Wait, wait for five seconds if you're listening and don't want to hear this. Just skip ahead. <laughs> okay, I think enough time has elapsed. Like the daughter is the the mom doesn't believe the daughter the daughter senses his bullshit and then ends up taking him out and then like a fucking like gunfight or something because mm-hmm. he was going to kill the teenage daughter in that case so that that case has a lot of parallels with yep. this one mm-hmm. I, I kept thinking of it while, while watching this this time around yeah. yeah aside from you know his biggest flaw obviously is being a murderer uh yes. that's yes. kind of a deal breaker it's, it's kind of yeah tops the list <laughs> but the other major and fatal parenting flaw for Jerry is he never doesn't I don't want to say he never listens to Stephanie he never even asks her 
how she feels. Like when Mm -hmm. Stephanie says like, I really want to go to boarding school. He never asks her why he never explores her feelings with her. He just is just like, Nope, not going to happen. Like we're not breaking up the family. And he, that's just one example of him constantly he buys her a puppy because you know puppies are great Mm -hmm. but no family's complete without one right Right. but maybe stephanie is a dog person Mm -hmm. maybe she's allergic to dogs you know maybe she doesn't want a dog he doesn't ask her do you want a puppy just like assumes of course you want one what girl young girl doesn't want a dog Mm -hmm. in time and time again he just makes assumptions about stephanie's feelings but he also he makes decisions for her Mm -hmm. without getting any sort of input from her whatsoever. You see that towards the end of the movie. I mean, by this point, he's made up his mind, like I'm going to kill this family and start a new one. But Susan confronts him and she's like, hey, we got to talk about what's going on with our family right now. And he's like, I'm taking care of it. And she's like, by yourself? And he's like, yep. You know, and to be really honest, like Susan is kind of not a great character i mean mm-hmm. he's just kind of like okay i guess i feel like that was like the tipping point for her i feel like they wrote her a little thinly yeah mm-hmm. like but i feel like that was the moment where she was going to start asking questions and she does call the office you know and she mm-hmm. she was not going to just like take that at face value yeah she's a little slow on the uptake and i think her character's a little thin as far mm-hmm. as like she's definitely the least developed of all the characters there's several points before that where i would be like okay i like a little bit more pushback from this woman mm-hmm. you know um but i think it may be more of a flaw of writing than of the character yeah. i yeah. think that they just kind of it was a little bit of laziness with the character right that's yeah. my that's my interpretation of it well, when I not, think not about post my feelings, <laughs> Sorry. no, because I think there's like I think you're right, and I mean, like I said, like I couldn't remember her name, you know, because I think the movie is very focused on Stephanie and and her yes. reaction to a lot of this. But like when I think when I think about Susan, I remember like this was a totally different situation. But like when I got divorced. I didn't want anyone to know that I had separated from my first husband until I had another boyfriend, you know, and it was like, I really wanted to skip all of that pain and that Mm -hmm. like shame or embarrassment, you know, and I think I see a lot of that with Susan and that I feel like that's just, she wants to skip all of that grief and, Stephanie really needs to express that grief. I mean, they both do, but like, that's what she needs. She doesn't need a puppy. She doesn't need, um, like she doesn't need to go to boarding school. That's her. Like she needs to, she needs a way to get all of this shit out. And I think like, Mm -hmm. I love that she is going to therapy. And I think that is something that her mom is doing for her that is helping, but it's like, she needs to be able to talk to her mom and talk to Jerry about this. And the thing that really stuck out to me a lot is that how many people keep calling Jerry her father, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's freaking creepy. Like it's like, no, he's not my fucking dad. Exactly. Erasing, erasing her actual father from existence. And when they correct themselves, it's like they're correcting themselves as an apology, as like, oh, okay, she wants me to call her stepfather, like, or she wants me to call him this, not because that's what he actually is. You know, there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with being a stepfather. It doesn't make you less of a Mm -hmm. father. It just means you are not genetically related to this kid, you know? Right. And like, just respect the fact that it like, it hasn't even been that long and he's only been in the picture for a goddamn year. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you want me to call you daddy? No, thank you. And while I think Susan is... A lot of her motivation is trying to replace this person in her life, which I mean, to be honest, like she had a co-parent that she lost. And I mean, raising a child like 
it, there is a benefit to having just another human in the house to help you financially and physically like get from A to B. But it's like she wants Stephanie to replace her father with uh, Jerry in the way that she is replacing this memory of her husband. And I right. understand the motivation, but it's just those are different relationships, you know? Absolutely. So, I do like the relationship between Dr. Borodon and Stephanie. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, him being one of the better examples of like counseling in any of the movies we've seen. The big thing is he's clearly aligned and on her side. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, you see him like reflecting back what she is saying, but then giving her the space to kind of either reframe it or elaborate on those thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, he lets her pace around the office, like kind of like, War and you can see him allowing her to work through her thoughts as opposed to like telling her this is how you should feel, right? This is is what what you're supposed to do. Yeah, what I like is he doesn't offer her a lot of resistance to what she's saying, in part because I think he understands like everybody else right now is already pushing back against you. This needs to be a place where whether or not he does agree with her. Um, and he does, but if there are instances where he does disagree with her, then that's she needs at least one person to hear her out. And that's kind of like motivational interviewing where you eventually let the person come back around to like a different way of thinking because they're able to kind of work themselves through the process. But mm-hmm. I really like the moment when he's like, maybe you should run away. Mm-hmm. He's like, maybe you need to do. He's like, that's not always the worst thing. And you see, like, it's funny because that's essentially what Jerry is doing every single time he takes on a new identity. Like, he's running away. Mm-hmm. The problem there is he's leaving other people in his wake at that mm-hmm. point. Is he giving a body count at that point? Um, like, if Jerry just, like, packed up his bag one day, you know, took off the wig and put in the pencil-thin mustache and, you know, became an insurance salesman, two towns over like that would have been sad and it wouldn't have been a great move but it is certainly you know on a sliding scale of terrible things less awful than like butchering everybody on your way out the door Mm -hmm. right he's allowing stuff to say maybe you do need a fresh start you need a new beginning and you need you know to put some space between you and jerry and even you and mom because i'm sure there's a lot of anger that stephanie has at susan for kind of I don't want to say moving on too quickly, but in, for, in Stephanie's perception, moving on too quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the difference is like, she is at a tender age. I mean, mm-hmm. like 16 is like a turning point. Like no. that would, you know, it wouldn't be an unhealthy time to move out of the home and be in a different environment with a different, different kind of support system when the one that she's currently in is not doing what it needs for her. So it's not really, I mean, I think he was encouraging her to think like, yeah, do this. It's not necessarily just running away. It's actually running towards something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was watching when she put the, her headphones on too and thinking like she doesn't have a safe place, you know? Mm-hmm. Like she, this is yeah. her home and like a lot of like the shit that's gone down with my own dad has happened when I was living out. A lot of the more like visual, the stuff I can put my finger on has happened after I moved out of the house, which I mean partly might have to do with the fact that he can't really control me in the same way anymore, you Mm -hmm. know? But I mean, like I, I am in my own home right now. It's a safe place that he doesn't have a key to. (laughs) (laughs) 
I will not be getting one, but um, hell no, you know, and that's that's that thing like boarding school. Like that's a red flag for a parent. Like if your daughter is wanting to go to boarding Mm -hmm. school, that's something to investigate. Like she is wanting to live outside of your home. What is it that's not making her feel safe here? And it just yeah, I, I like that the doctor really kind of listened to that. And as much as I do think the mom like that, that conversation is heartfelt. Mike, you're right. She's not listening to Stephanie in a way that allows her to put Stephanie's needs ahead of her own needs. Yeah. You know, the moment that I loved in the therapy session was when she said, yeah, I'm mad at my dad for being dead. And I thought that was just a real human mm-hmm. moment and a real like. I wish people kind of what we were talking about earlier, I wish more men or fathers had this kind of awareness of their emotions and were able to say, I'm not mad at my child because he had an accident. I'm mad because this other thing is hurting me and this is what it's channeling towards, you know? Totally. So I have an important question. One, is Jerry a reverse black widow? (laughs) Would that be a gray widow? Yeah, is yeah, that the opposite? Is, uh, no, it was just a joke comment. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I I think no because he is the one providing, and I think the Black Widow trope is like they get married, murder, the take husband, their money, take yeah. their money. Yeah. So I mean, there's I definitely overlap, you know, in mm-hmm. the manipulation to get into a relationship you're not actually yeah. like authentically into i mean what is he doing he's like an emotional black widow he is his payment his gold diggerness is validation as a man well i'm thinking like what is he doing for housing and because this is not a dude like he's trying to talk a 10 year old into buying a house and that kid is not gonna have like the income or credit you know history required (laughs) to buy a home like you're giving a hard sell to the wrong person here exactly yeah is that the same family that he waves to at the end? Like, are they the same? No, because no. that they're the little girl. Well, I could be completely wrong here, but I my memory is that the girl on the swing is blonde, and the girl okay. that he waves to has darker darker hair. hair. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I could. Yeah, now I want to like check it. It's like one of those like uh, like Scientific American like memory tests mm-hmm. or something. Like, did mm-hmm. you notice that the girl is wearing a different pattern? And right. uh, anyway, <laughs> she has a braid this time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, if you're ever killed in a suspicious accident, do you have any students that like you enough to solve the mystery and prove that it was foul play? Okay. Yeah, I definitely have some kids that like I could charge rent in terms of like how often they come by. Not because they have anything wrong with them, but just like we like to chat and and talk to one another so oh you're you're one of their five key people yeah you know i mean it's kind of a nice thing it's kind of one of those things where like i am a trusted person in their life so Mm -hmm. you know that's no bad it's kind of why you get into the the line of work you do you Mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah Mm -hmm. definitely not the money Well, there are two things that I or one thing I wanted to say is a testament to this movie and why I think it holds up, because there were two things that I thought were going to happen, because I remember the broad strokes of what happened, but not the specifics. Mm -hmm. I thought one thing I thought was we were going to find out that Jerry had murdered the dad and that's why he was dead. And it was all part of a plan to kind of weasel into this family. And I also thought that Jim was going to save the day and solve all the problems by being the new compassionate dad 
I had that thought too at some point, like, oh, he's hot, so he's gonna actually hook up with the mom afterwards, right? You know, like, yeah, <laughs> and I'm just so glad that neither of those things happened. Yeah. Absolutely, because you they like they cue you up to think certain things and then mm-hmm. subvert those expectations. Yeah, and so I just I, I also want to talk about like because that, that's like a clever filmmaking or storytelling thing. I also thought the like pace. I was trying to figure out like why is am I enjoying the pacing of this final battle sequence so much? Mm-hmm. Like, I know, I think like during a lot of movies like this, um, there will be like some final thing that happens in the last 10 or 15 minutes. It's a chase scene, it's an action sequence or something. And I usually find myself spacing out during these longer drawn out, like final battle type sequences. But this one, I, the pacing was so good. And I realized like it's broken into segments and there mm-hmm. are things that like, m- provide plot movement within it um because like it, it starts from the moment that like jim arrives he's killed by jerry stephanie comes home but and jerry is hiding from her um jerry confronts her the bathroom fight scene takes place then there's then they move to the attic then there's the reveal of jim's body then there's the reveal that mom's not actually dead and she has a gun there's like these peaks and valleys mm-hmm. so it doesn't let you zone out I just like I I was just analyzing that from like a story structure perspective. Mm -hmm. I was like, this fucking rules. Like, why does it rule so hard? Like, oh, that's why. (laughs) And you could say the same thing about the first scene, because Mm -hmm. I mean, another movie would have made that horrific for me to watch. And I think it gives you just enough without like it's not a super violent movie, you know? Yes. And we see him covered in blood. So we know something's up. And then just him walking down the steps and seeing that. And then that last shot with the It's fantastic. Oh the teddy bear. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that reveal is just one of the best reveals. Like Mm -hmm. I mean there's only two on screen deaths excluding his own. Uh Jerry's own in the movie. I will say like the moment when he smashes like the landline across Susan's mm-hmm. face is like the most horrific moment in the movie because it's so fast and brutal and it feels so real. It feels really um, real. Yeah. Yeah. That it, it it doesn't feel like it belongs in the same kind of movie. And Jerry's an interesting killer or interesting slasher killer because even though there have been like human slashers. You get Michael Myers, you get Cropsey from The Burning. There's typically like they're either in a costume or they're deformed or they have some sort of like intense backstory that makes them almost supernatural. And Mm -hmm. Jerry, as far as I know, is like one of the first real kind of slashers that just feels like a random person in the suburbs that you would see at the grocery store sit next to at the office at work there's something that feels so real about him Mm -hmm. um that makes him like this really chilling figure because i mean it's a it's a very grounded performance in a lot of ways terry o'quinn only goes big when he absolutely needs to like in the moments when he's absolutely alone or when he feels that it's most threatened he doesn't go over the top all the time you could see like an epilogue to this where the neighbors are interviewed like yeah we never would have suspected a thing like that guy like right mm-hmm. no idea was coming mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and one quick thing i love paul's reaction when like jerry is screaming at him like <laughs> you could go to jail she's 16 years old and he's like so am i <laughs> just right. like that's such a great off the cuff uh, reaction like uh-huh. mm-hmm. that scene infuriated me like mm-hmm. in in the intended way because i was like you're you're 
she's not your possession to protect. And it's what mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier with like the shotgun prom picture. So I won't go into it, but right. yeah, that was just the perfect scene for this character to have. Like that is exactly how he would react, and, you know? And it comes on the, t- and, and this is the only thing I'll, I'll, I'll last thing I say, I'll <laughs> say, I promise it comes on the tail of her having established this tentative trust with them. And it's like, mm-hmm. there's almost this dreamlike quality to the sequence where they build the birdhouse and then they have their Thanksgiving dinner and he's like got the fully realized fantasy around him. Everything is just as he wants it. And he cannot resist just fucking destroying it as hard as possible mm-hmm. in this moment. Like when she has this very chaste kiss with Paul, it, it's just such a great sequence of events in terms mm-hmm. of like throwing you off emotionally. Like you yeah. can, you really feel in Stephanie's shoes during those, that, that sequence. Yeah. Well, it's that like that self-destructive streak, I think, too, which is really, mm-hmm. I think, born out of this insecurity that I will never be able to make this happen. So it's like this un- self subconscious desire to just go ahead and get it over with, yeah. you know? Yep. Like, I'm going to start over and it'll be perfect next time, you know? Yeah. Right. And just a little, I mean, we talked about Terry O'Quinn's performance, but little shout out to Jill Sholin. Yes. Who carved out like a great little career in the late 80s early 90s as you know a scream queen that i don't think we acknowledge as much as we should between this cutting class the phantom of the opera the robert engels phantom of the opera um popcorn uh, another little you know kind of classic b movie like Mm -hmm. she had like this period of about a half dozen years where you know she really appeared in a lot of like solid b horror movies and mm-hmm. also pat benatar pat benatar still slaps <laughs> yeah yeah she's great in this yeah made me really angry her little shower scene at the end but that's not so unnecessary <laughs> it's just like why oh, had, like you could have so easily oh, cut that out and yeah. like had it not changed the story at all yeah. in i mean she's 24 years old when she films it so right she's yeah but it's so fucking weird. They make a big deal about how she's 16 and right. they're like time for side boom and an ass shot. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, it just my feels God. so out of nowhere and so unnecessary. It's just like compared okay. to the ass shot that we get of Jerry at the beginning, which I think mm-hmm. is plot related. You know, I don't want to be mm-hmm. one of those people. It's like, I like sex when it's related to the plot, yeah. but it's like there is no reason for this scene at all. Right. You know? Other I than mean, it's think- the 80s and that's what we do. I think you see a little bit of little Jerry too in the shower <laughs> Do scene. you? I'll have to rewind. You do, you know? <laughs> I'll I do. have Pause to it rewind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go to you Mr. Skin. Little yeah. Terry yeah. snook in. <laughs> no, it's, it's not when Jerry gives Susan the best 38 seconds of her week, but it's like in that shower scene. Absolutely. That scene was so weird too because it was like he had this like really dutiful look on his face. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, are you enjoying this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah not. yeah he's like he's again he's just such a creepy psycho yeah. i love it yep oh. <sighs> well speaking of creepy psychos um <laughs> i wonder if that's <laughs> pejorative um <laughs> let's shall we move on to our other mental health topics and i don't know if there's anything really to mention here other than what we've talked mm-hmm. about like i feel like there yeah. is a toxic relationship you know yeah. mm-hmm. there's toxic relationships psychopathy in general yeah. um child yeah. abuse you know yeah. i think we covered the gamut there just with yeah. jerry it, it, he would have had it as a kid you don't get diagnosed it really as an adult but like attachment disorder mm. like the difficulty in forming relationships everything being really superficial 
you might have seen some of that from his childhood and that unresolved bit of his childhood, you know, made it difficult for him to kind of navigate the hurdles of adulthood and familyhood. Yeah. I would love to see something with like Jerry's original nuclear family and how mm -hmm. that played out. And if he was ever able to be his actual authentic self and if that played out the way it did or if there never was like an authentic OG person and he always had to adapt a persona mm -hmm. in order to kind of lure someone in. Right, because he probably wasn't given the chance to develop a personality mm -hmm. if he was abused as a child and he had to just like play roles to keep his, mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm theorizing here, but um, yeah. like if his father just demanded certain things of him and he that's how he adapted was by playing mm -hmm. like different characters to keep his abusers off his back. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I also would be remiss if or not being true to myself if I didn't bring up narcissism, because like a lot mm -hmm. of what we've talked about, I think it reminds me of what we talked about with Patrick Bateman mm -hmm. and American Psycho. I feel like they're they're coming from different places and probably informed by a lot of different experiences. But like there is an element mm -hmm. of narcissism in there, although I don't know. I oh, feel yeah. Like Terry, Jerry's more complicated than just narcissist more than just but he, he i mean the whole thing of like needing to have a certain image and have how yeah. people perceive you and 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 that perception being more important than reality is just like pure narcissism it's kind of it's like that malignant narcissism shading into psychopathy trump bullshit you know Right. Yeah. And it's like in our um, what's in the box episode too. like so, a listener asked, like, who are your covert narcissists? And I think I might put Jerry somewhere in between an overt and a covert narcissist, like mm -hmm. definitely there. Maybe not the first thing I would say, but yeah. Hundo percent. Um, so now let's talk about other movies that we see shitty dads like Jerry in. We're not going to dig into them, but we just like to mention these. And also, I want to say all what the next film we're going to do in this topic is in case anyone's like screaming at us. Oh, it's this movie, too. We are going to be talking about Jen's dream crush, Elijah Wood, and a movie called Come to Daddy, which I have not seen. Come but to Daddy. Sounds yeah sounds... daddy. sorry i'll stop doing Ooh. that i just i'm holding my <laughs> mic really close to my face and going, Come to daddy. Yeah. To daddy. yeah i'm i'm down for it i'm now even more excited about it so, although <laughs> the word daddy often makes me feel a little weird <laughs> oh yeah it's a disgusting word which is why i like saying it yeah but i say it with my kids all the time <laughs> mm -hmm. oh yeah sure that that's that just that confuses things for me yeah right so <laughs> Uh, should we list the other movies or are we oh yeah 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 the only one i could really think of is uh frailty which i love which is uh, like adjacent there's a bad dad in that one mm -hmm. or yeah. is there <laughs> i had a few um i would love to someday talk about this movie but it's i can't figure out exactly where it would fit but eyes without a face mm -hmm. one of my favorites the shining is i feel like there's a oh, lot of parallels yeah. to the shining in this and uh -huh. a little bit og nightmare on elm street mostly just about like the idea that like your parents can't protect you or they're the, these mm -hmm. having to face up to the fact of the frail humans that they are and the um mm -hmm. lieutenant daddy john saxon character <laughs> in there mm -hmm. i could see there's there's some issues going on there yeah totally so say like it's not the dad character but tina's mom in elm street three and four Mm -hmm. is the absolute worst parent in the whole franchise. Totally. Elm Street 4, Alice's dad in that movie, although he makes a nice turnaround in Elm Street 5. So yeah, those are some examples of like really crappy parenting in horror movies. I feel like 
home movie starring Aiden, uh, pa- Adrian Pasden. It's a found footage movie where with killer kids, but like the dad is pretty clueless in that movie. It would be another example I would go to. Yeah. Also, I would say a little bit like the original Insidious in terms of like absentee parenthood. Mm. I had that like, thought also. <laughs> um, well, and now it's time for an uplifting moment. This is where we share any grounding and coping techniques or any self-care that's been particularly effective for us. Uh, grounding and self-care are little tips, tricks, mantras, practices that help us get get through the hard days and hard moments. And self-care is anything we do that makes us feel good or feel better. And fuck, man, I've had a week. Like, we moved. I've, like, lo- everything's fine, but, like, a lot of things in my life are changing, just kind of the structure of them, you know? like with my job and just some writing stuff I'm doing. Um, and I don't handle change very well. So it's been stressful. Um, and I moved to a new town and the thing that I alluded to earlier. So it's just been, you know, um, listeners and Mike and Laura, thank you for kind of bearing through my like charged uh, emotions tonight, but I've been listening to, um, you're wrong about, a podcast which I just I really love and I don't know what it is about it but it's like the thing I need right now to kind of focus on there are a lot of episodes I've been getting through and it's just I find it very soothing and very um it's a good thing for me to kind of focus my energy on I need to be listening to Lizzie's story and I just have not been because I just really wanted to listen to more so yeah check your wrong about out I'm really into it yeah, I, I love that podcast. I think maybe what it is, because I've gone through phases with listening to it a lot, is that they're 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 approachably cerebral, like, but mm-hmm. they they really methodically break things down and I feel very soothed by it. Like it's very like, okay, these people are going to and it's always that, that format of like one of them explaining it to the other. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like hearing a friend just break things down for you and mm-hmm. by having one of them not in on it you know or like being kind of educated you it feels very like relatable and approachable mm-hmm. like you're not it's not two experts it's like one expert on a very specific niche thing I don't yeah. know so I, it doesn't I, I make you, you feel it. bad for not knowing about that thing you know mm-hmm. like, oh, lots of people don't so, right yeah. it's just like oh let's re-examine this and it's yeah. I don't know I like it a lot and I would like um, to publicly thank one Laura Unterstall for recommending this podcast to me because <laughs> I love it <laughs> Anytime. I feel like I don't have anything new. I feel like I'm I'm also, I don't know, I'm just dealing with the change of one gen. I completely relate to not relating well to change. I, I know it's like, uh, it's I, I always joke that I'm secretly an old Republican because of how much I hate change, but um, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it just throws you off. You know, everything feels in chaos. And then I, whenever I'm in those periods, I have to remind myself like, well, you've gone through change before and you had this exact same reaction and you survived so you know this will pass you know but I know that feeling so well and I hate it so much so um to a lesser degree I'm feeling it just because of you know things changing in the world with pandemic stuff and attempting to be a little bit more of a human and it's it's very anxiety provoking and I I think I said this last time but it's like you know, you're supposed to be happy because you're vaccinated and that things are going back to normal, but everything still feels so uncertain and chaotic. And it's like, mm-hmm. what is safe to do and what isn't? And I, I'm feeling a lot of that, you know, and just putting a lot of pressure on myself on some level, I think to like, 
sort through my shit and try to process the trauma of the past year. And I, and I don't know how well I'm, I'm doing it or not um, so far. So I just feel like I have a lot going on in my head and I, I feel like my brain is just regurgitating out reflective stuff. So I guess I, I have been writing a tiny bit, which is unusual for me outside of my job because my job is, you know, a lot of writing. So I, especially the last year, I didn't really write anything. And I've been writing not nothing huge, just like, oh, I had an, a, a little treatment for a screenplay idea. Let's put that in the notepad. Let's um, write a little fragment of poetry. Let's, you know, it's just stuff like this that uh, it's weird. I just, it's a feeling. So I, I think I'm just going through a lot of processing right now. And I don't really know what to what to do with that or what to say about it. Well, and I think sometimes the self-care is just saying it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I know like the past couple of weeks for me have just not been the greatest. I now can't, I was supposed to get my knee looked at on Friday and go over the results of the MRI and I couldn't find my wallet to bring to show like, this is who I am and here's oh, my no. insurance card. And then I drove to my wife's school thinking maybe I left it in her car and not realizing it was the time of day that I was going to get stuck behind 40 cars waiting 40 minutes to pick up oh. their kid. Oh, so God. I have to like reschedule. I still can't find my wallet. So that's oh, no. Awesome. Um, and then like with, you know, the cat and a bunch of little things that have all like sprung up you know i'll say like the self-care i would say that i've had has been like the pet therapy um we thought we were going to have to put down our 17 year old sam wise wiggle bottom <laughs> after his injury like uh two fridays ago and we brought him in thursday to our vet and we we're like this is probably it so we're talking to the vet i'm like look the only thing i can think of is like Ever since he's come home, the medicine he's on, it, it, it seems really strong. The one day we got the medicine in him that was like the pill that we can crush and put in his food, he like walked around. That was the only time he would take it. Like, do you think anything, you know, is there anything to that? Like, well, we'll have a look. And um, they called us back as we were waiting. We we're like, well, we gave him some fluids. We did this, this, and this. And we're like crush up the pill and like squirt it into him with his water. And I'm like, that's a brilliant idea. Why didn't we do that? So he brought him back out. He immediately looked like two years younger. And that night was like walking around on the bed. Like today he was going up and down the stairs and like, he's been eating and Yay. he looks a lot better. So, you know, he's still a little bit oozy from his wound, which is yucky, but we feel like really fortunate, but like definitely Spam aside, like when I'm feeling really down, uh, the rabbit will jump on the bed and I'll just pet the rabbit and she'll groom me or <laughs> my dog in particular, like will just like attach herself to my side and we like go for walks. We like I feed her all sorts of people food that I shouldn't. She's a little mm. chonker, but she's like constantly pressing herself against me and putting her head on my chest, which is the way dogs mm. hug. And it is like the best form of therapy i would say like if you have pets just take 10 minutes out of your day and do nothing else but just play with them and you will walk out of there feeling so much better <sighs> well we want to know what you think what is your current self-care um you know what's going on with you sorry i feel like i don't have any like clever questions today um are you actually wearing a hair piece and no one else knows <laughs> 
Uh, you can answer all of these questions and more by following us at psychoapod on all of the socials you can also join our facebook group the psychoanalysis podcast support group it is a private and moderated group where we can share about episode topics mental health stuff and anything else that's on your mind and we've been getting some really interesting comments recently that i think might make its way into some patreon mini episodes so stay tuned for that Um, and you can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you want to share privately and our homework question for this week. Who is your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> Perfect. Show me your dad. Oh, my God. And then I, I want to meet that dad. Yeah. Would. My mom says our dad is a real sex machine. Sorry. I <laughs> love kindergarten cop. Yeah. I think that's the one we got to go with. Who is your daddy and what does he do? And then get to the top. Of- Sorry. I will I will just go Arnold Schwarzenegger for the rest of the Just go on Arnold's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so look out for that prompt. Um and what are we watching next? Well, we said our next topic episode is gonna be Come to Daddy. And but in between we've got a comfort horror episode that I am super excited about. And I know Mike, you are excited to talk about this movie too. We're gonna be joined by uh, a special guest, Anna Marie Cox, and we are gonna be watching Alien! Yes! Yay. I'm, my chest is bursting open with Excellent. joy. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, as it does. As, yes, it, it is want to do. Yeah, so Alien um, for next time, which is going to be really fun. And we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us here and there along with some other great pods by going to consequence.net. And Mike, where can we find you? So you can find me online at Mike underscore Snoonian over on Twitter. You can find my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum, everywhere you get your podcasts. But we cover horror movie franchises. We just finished the Evil Dead series. We just posted the Evil Dead remake with guest Matt Donato. I would say it's a top five show Mm. for us. Uh, It was just awesome. And we are moving on to the Conjuring verse next. And... Uh, yeah, we have a lot of other really fun stuff planned. So the pod and the pendulum everywhere you get your podcast. Awesome. Laura, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S, much like the perfectly white, perfectly crisp <laughs> pair of boxer shorts that your mother wrote your name in the, in the lapel lapel yes the lapel of your boxer shorts they are perfect they're perfect and you will fold them no more wire hangers okay i don't know where i'm going with this that's oh no i love it yarls on twitter had a little moment we don't need to talk about it uh uh, where else? I, you can find me occasionally on the Losers Club and Halloweenies coming soon. I, by the time this drops, will be both parts of this, the Scream episode out for sure. Uh, Scream 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yep, that's all I got for you, baby. <laughs> that's all I got for you, Daddy. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of the socials. You can find me on the Losers Club, gearing up for Lisey's story coverage and 
Uh, you can find me writing the strong female antagonist blog and writing some other Don't places. Don't sound too. so defeated. I know. <laughs> I need on to. Your, mm-hmm. you're, you're on your strong female antagonist blog yes. that rules. That's it's actually right. really genuinely mm-hmm. good. God damn it. It's a really great Thank read. You. Sorry, I have to do this. No, I appreciate it. And I am not good at pumping myself up, so I appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, because then I, do, I do think it's good. And I'm excited to write about the next one. I think I get like, I just have been think I overloaded myself with some projects and including moving to another town. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Cut yourself some slack. Here, that's right. That's true. <laughs> For and- the love of God, you're amazing. Well, and so that's where you can find me. And yeah, that's our episode on the stepfather. You can't see the gesture Laura is making, but I appreciate it. It was funny. Oh, is that what that looked like? I was just trying to do that. Oh, dear. Okay, well, I just jerked (laughs) off a ghost. Oops. (laughs) Oops. I jerked off a ghost. (laughs) Got lost in the ghost. Got lost oh, in the oh step of father. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> hey, we made it through, guys. <laughs> Somehow. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we're all about oh, bubblegum. Bubblegum. That sounded so deflated. <laughs>